Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, listeners. I want to thank our good friends at Slipped Disc for their enthusiastic support of Speaking Soundly. Be sure to check out slipdisc.com for the latest inside information on classical music now. Oh, and while you're here, could you do me a favor? If you like this show, follow it. It's pretty simple, really, and it's free. Just click the follow button on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. And if you already follow the show, click the share podcast button and send Speaking Soundly to your friends and relatives that also like listening to candid and inspiring conversations with some of the best musicians on the planet. All right. So thanks again for the continued support. We really appreciate it. At just 27 years old, Madison Cunningham has already mastered the art of soulful storytelling through music. This Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter uses her guitar virtuosity and distinctive voice to seamlessly blend folk, Americana, and indie influences into songs of her own. Her accomplishments speak for themselves, but if you ask her, there's plenty of work left to do. Sometimes I feel like I still don't know how to play. Like, <laughs> I'm still a student and dissatisfied a lot of the time with where I'm at and trying to be better and... I think that's a good place to be. You're listening to Speaking Soundly, a backstage pass to today's biggest stars of the music world. I'm your host, David Krause, principal trumpet of the Metropolitan Opera. During each episode, you'll hear me speak with inspiring performers about their creative process and the personal journey that led them to the stage. Oftentimes, when I hear a singer-songwriter, they're playing a relatively simple accompaniment, but your songs are a lot different. They feature you singing and the guitar playing underneath it is complex, like verging on virtuosic. You're doing this simultaneously, which to me, I mean, I play the trumpet, I play one note at a time. Hmm. So when I watch you, it's like someone's juggling fire right in front of me. <laughs> it's amazing. Do you feel like you're doing two separate things? Where's the focus? Is it on your guitar or is it on the singing? 
it can feel like two separate things. And the whole goal for me is to try and make it feel of one function, which just comes with a lot of practice and focus on how to accomplish that well. Because sometimes if one element is under practiced, then I feel like one thing is suffering. So I'm, I'm always deeply interested in how the vocal works with the guitar. They're both very connected for me. And the way that I write and the way that I perform, that is of you know utmost importance to make sure that those two things are working in tandem. And um, I just spend a lot of time trying to make sure that they are. And I think the most frustrating thing to me is feeling like the vocals are suffering for any reason. Because electric guitar is so loud and beautiful and uh, it, it takes up a lot of space. So for a lot of years, I've been just trying to figure out how to how to make the the voice and the guitar sort of split the difference and meet in the middle. Guitar has become so much a part of my voice that they hardly or are rarely ever apart. <laughs> so yeah, I think it, it's certainly, if it wasn't instinct at the beginning, it definitely is now. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that you started like at what, age six? I mean, it must because all of the hard parts about learning to play an instrument I don't remember you know because you're a kid and you're just like either you love it or you don't and I happen to love guitar and so I you know that phase where your fingers hurt or like you're frustrated because the strings won't sustain because you can't hold them tight enough or whatever all of that was was done in a time where I had no ego really you know so I didn't I didn't give up on it. I, I mean, that's my that's my theory. Uh, if I had started guitar when I was probably like 15, it, I don't know, maybe I'd be uh, farther behind. But I don't know. I think it's just general curiosity, too, about the instrument and, and constantly kind of falling in love with it again and finding different ways to uh, display my interests on it. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. I I never really get tired of it. There's so many different ways that it can be approached. How does a six-year-old even hold a guitar? <laughs> Did you start on a ukulele? No, like a jumbo um, Taylor guitar as a six-year-old. And I don't, I don't know how I held it. I don't, there's a couple pictures that I found where it's like, I, my body is sitting directly under the neck because I couldn't actually <laughs> hold the body on my lap. I, I think I started that way. And then my dad ended up getting me like a pretty small like baby tailor or something but even then like it was it was still pretty big for a six-year-old right <laughs> but yeah I don't know I, I have pretty long fingers also my dad is very tall and I think I inherited his his limbs so that helped but I I don't know I think I just I didn't feel forced along the way as the pain subsided in your fingers was there a moment when you felt like your fingers just started to know where to go on the fretboard? Like, when did the guitar become second nature? Was there a moment or was it very gradual? I, I would say it's gradual. Sometimes I feel like I still don't know how to play. Like, it's it's still a thing that I'm, I'm very much in search of. But, you know, I, I do think there was moments where I realized that I wasn't looking at my fretboard anymore to, to know where things were. There's like small hurdles that you can, that you jump over after time. But yeah, I would still say like, I'm, I'm still a student and dissatisfied a lot of the time with where I'm at and trying to be better. And I think that's a good place to be, to be hungry and to, to be learning and watching the way other people do it. And that, that's deeply like 
I, I enjoy getting kicked in the ass. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you played for someone and you felt like you made a connection, like you affected them with your music? Oh, that's a beautiful question. Hmm. There's a couple different moments. You know, I grew up singing in church and I could I could sense at a certain point, probably by the time I was like 14 or 15, that people cared about, I don't know, the musicality or the or my voice or something. I And, and I, I guess that was encouraging. It was enough for me to continue on and. I feel like the first time I actually started to affect people, though, with my my own music was probably when I was around 20 or 21 and playing out in L.A. Like I started to to notice the power of, of songs mm. um, and not just like, um, you know, technical proficiency, but sincerity and like what that does to an audience. And I think that was the best education that I got was moving out to L.A. I didn't I didn't go to school. I I ended up boycotting that and just going and finding m musicians to play with. And that's what I did all the time. And I started to understand how music moves people. And it's generally when you're like very much out of the way and you're just letting something else sort of speak through you. You moved to LA when you were 21, right. but um, you were homeschooled until the 12th grade. Correct. And then you left for LA that must have just been a seismic shift in your life to leave that safe haven, not only your family, but your church community and that homeschooled environment. Was that difficult at all? No, I was dying to get out. I was dying to be free and to start over. And um, that was maybe a part of why I, I, I didn't miss it. It was easy for me to see myself outside of it because Orange County is a beautiful place and it was a wonderful childhood but it just there, there's no there was no music scene it's a very apathetic town which that's totally cool um but i'm not a surfer i don't really like the beach that much so it was not for me i had to I had to go to the concrete you know right <laughs> being homeschooled did that give you an opportunity to explore music and your other creative pursuits in a way that maybe you wouldn't have had time to pursue if you were in traditional school Certainly. Yeah, I, I really do think it benefited me um, in terms of just guitar and um, songwriting and all, all that. I just I had time to to do it. And there wasn't a lot of outside influences on what I should have been doing otherwise, obviously, besides actual homework and <laughs> schooling, which I did do. Right. And I have a diploma, but <laughs> there was nothing else that really caught my attention other than music. That's just always what I wanted to do. Your father was a pastor in the church community yeah. that you grew up in. Did that shape your life artistically or was it something that you felt like you had to try to shed and get away from? Probably both. I mean, it did, it did shape me artistically because of just, um, I mean, performing at all or performing in front of people is like a it really does test your abilities. And I felt like I got um, to be a better musician in that environment and really, really came to understand my love for playing guitar and, and singing and, and writing and stuff. But I do think as I, as I 
neared my late teens, it started to feel like there was a conflict there between, you know, making art and doing it inside of, um, you know, those walls. It didn't, it, it, it became clear that there was like a crossroads, you know, they didn't serve each other anymore. I, I read that when you were 17, you directed the church choir. <laughs> and I, I've, I've been in some of those rooms and everybody thinks choirs are like these nice, friendly places, but I've seen some things. I bet you have. What was it like directing a choir where some of the choristers are more than three times your age? Oh, it sucked. They, they didn't, they did not respect me at all. <laughs> but, you know, I had a job to do and I understood harmony and did my best and, that was kind of a job that got me through those <laughs> years, you know? But yeah, I, they they were not very, they weren't necessarily nice to me. <laughs> Do you think that'll be your toughest job that you'll ever have to face? God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I fear that the answer is probably no. Yeah, well, <laughs> Rolling Stone describes you and your music as, quote, a new spin on West Coast folk rock with classical tendencies, electric guitars, jazz school core changes, and alt-rock strut, all living under the same roof. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a big sentence. It's accurate, but that's that's a lot. You'd think that you were exposed to all these influences, but you weren't. In fact, you didn't even hear the Beatles until you were 17. That's less than 10 years ago. Yeah. And since then, you've won a Grammy. You've been nominated five times. How did you manage to adopt and, in a sense, master all these musical influences that were referenced in such a short period of time? Oh, man. I don't know that I would say I've mastered them. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Truly, like, I really don't feel that way. But I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it all interested me so much and moved me so much that it became uh, a, a, a part of me and I think became a part of my instincts. And when I was 18, there was so much music coming at me and, and it all was so effective and changed me kind of Im immediately. Um, and I think it just, yeah, maybe it just became a part of, of the fabric or the way that I started to think and, um, and, you know, would forever alter the way that I thought about composition and writing. And um, I don't know. You you let me know when when you figured out how to master something. You probably have. Well, it sounds to me like the timing of you hearing the Beatles at 17, when you already had this musical acumen, as opposed to 12 or 13, maybe it was the timing of that that really energized you and struck a chord literally in you i really believe that I, I i think i was ready yeah i was wide open for it and and i think that's why it worked so quickly whereas maybe if i had heard that music when i was five or six maybe it would be my journey would be trying to shed all of that to get to something else I didn't grow up with those figures, you know. I wasn't trying to be Paul McCartney or Joni Mitchell. Um, Who were you trying to be? Great question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I was just trying to be, again, I, I really didn't, I wasn't exposed to much. I heard a lot of um, 
there was just a lot of contemporary Christian artists that I, I had heard. I think I just wanted to be um, good. There was no one that I was necessarily like, that's who, that's it for mm. me. I just wanted to be good. When someone in the classical music world is young and very successful, they're quickly branded as a child prodigy. Mm. Do you see any of that kind of prodigious aspect in yourself? Hmm. I do think that there's some sort of unexplainable thing where some people are are born with this magnetic thing towards whatever it is that they're passionate about. And some people desire to be connected to it. Uh, there's so many people that I know who would love to be a musician or an artist and there's no harmony there. There's no relationship that's able to become anything more. And so I think, I do believe that we're all made up of DNA that pushes us towards certain things. And I feel like music is definitely that for me. I don't see myself doing anything else. Um, I, 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 that's a great question. I, I do feel like you're born with it or you're not. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that I feel a little shallow about saying that for some reason, but I, I do think that that there's a big, at least 50% of that. That's true. <laughs> On the opposite end of that spectrum, is there any part of music making that you struggle with? Oh, yeah, all of it. <laughs> I struggle with taking it too seriously. Mm. I think that that's actually a thing. I think that's a, a curse. Um, I read, there's this book called The War of Art. I, I, are you familiar at all? No. It's a beautiful book. I mean, I think I think it could relate to anybody um, in any field, really. But he kind of is, talks about the difference between the amateur and the professional. And he was saying the amateur sort of like allows it to mean too much um but doesn't actually love it enough mm. to to be truly great at it and i think i think there's this piece of me there's that is still an amateur that allows it to mean too much and um you know ego can be at play in that and i do think that that is um something that i i really I, I, I can struggle with and I'm always trying to shed that and I'm always trying to be um, as least precious as I can be. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's music becomes so uh, entangled with who you are and it's hard to separate that. And sometimes I think that that separation is in, it is important. Um, also, it's just hard to do music. It's hard to um make a career out of it it can be confusing because the business and the art are always at odds with each other mm. um you know so it's a it's a interesting very unnatural life that i love deeply <laughs> i read that you at one point or maybe still today have stage fright I did. I don't anymore. I mean, it, I get nervous for sure, but I, I, I think those, I think nerves are also a part of playing the instrument too. You know, you learn how to play your nerves and how to control them. And, um, but yeah, when I was, you know, 10, 
a little bit younger even, I, I was getting put in situations where I was singing in front of people um, because of my dad. And I just would dread it. I would kick and scream, I, I you know, on my way to do it because I just, I just hated the, the idea of people looking at me and hearing me. And uh, but I, don't, I don't know why. I think eventually I just, I, I was able to like, I don't know, maybe the professional thing kicked in. And I wasn't thinking about myself anymore while I was playing. I was thinking about something else. And it's funny because for a lot of people, when they're a kid, when they're 10, they could care less. They're not in their own heads. And as they get yeah. older, that gets worse, that feeling of being self-aware. But for you, it just kind of faded away. Yeah, I think I'm just boneheaded enough to suck and try again. <laughs> that was like, you know... All of my first shows in L.A. was me just being like, well, here goes nothing. I'm really nervous right now. But then being like, but I do want to get good at it. So I'm going to I'm going to do it again. You know, well, earlier this year, you played here in New York with Chris Thiele and Jacob Collier, two absolute giants of the music world. You didn't have a whole lot of rehearsal. How does it yeah. feel in those moments when you're playing guitar, singing, and you're collaborating, and these three minds <laughs> have to meet in this one microphone in front of a couple thousand people. I mean, my heart is racing a little bit right now just even thinking about <laughs> having to keep up with that. Is it scary or is it just the ultimate for you? Oh, it was so surreal. It was it was truly a, a life highlight. And those gentlemen are the nicest people you might ever meet and they truly are good humans and I trust them deeply if it was with anybody else I would be hiding under a table or something but you know it, it was like the environment was ripe for that and I think we knew what we were getting into and it was definitely a bold undertaking and I think we all afterwards were like we could have done with a little more rehearsal but that wasn't the point it was it was really to be in the room and and to feed off of each other the way that we would you know privately or just when we're hanging out and I just thought that that was such a you know and Chris is he loves walking the tightrope that's his that's his thing and so I think I just kind of was boldly marching after him <laughs> in those moments when you're performing and things are going really well and you're really enjoying yourself do you also get a sense of connection with the audience or are you just keyed into the players on stage. It, I felt so connected to the audience that night. It was just so palpable that everyone was with us. And I think we all felt very liberated by that. And like, you know, nothing could go wrong. And it was just, I really get chills thinking about it. When we, when we walked out on stage, uh, I just felt that we were very welcomed and it was really, really special. You're collaborating with some of the best musicians on the planet you just won a Grammy. What do you do next? Like, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Oh, I wish I knew. Um, man, I just want to be a better songwriter. And that's just true. And every day that's my mission. And that's really all I care about. It's, it's the most special part about making a record, I think, is just that you getting to sit with yourself and your thoughts and nobody gets to take that from you. And it's a beautiful thing. So that's what I'm doing. Something to do after this. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Speaking Soundly. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up on future episodes, follow us on Instagram at speakingsndly and visit our website, artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist speaking soundly.